So last night I was reading through ancient Hittite ritual incantations, as is pretty usual here around Disciple Dojo, and I came across something that I had never seen before and shed new light on a passage that I had seen before. And I wanted to share it because it's a great example of how obscure historical cultural background can really shed light on a passage and make sense of weird imagery that we otherwise wouldn't know what to do with. And if you enjoyed this video after you've watched it, tell other people about it. Share it, comment below, all the things that help growing YouTube Bible teaching ministries thrive. Okay, let's get into it. When we come to the last chapter of the book of Isaiah, but whoever sacrifices a bull is like one who kills a person. And whoever offers a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. Ugh. Whoever makes a grain offering is like one who presents pig's blood. And whoever burns memorial incense is like one who worships an idol. They have chosen their own ways and they delight in their abominations. So I also will choose harsh treatment for them and will bring on them what they dread. What is going on here? Whoever sacrifices a bull is like one who kills a person. Whoever offers a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. Whoever makes a grain offering is like one who presents pig's blood. I mean, these are the things that there's a whole book, Leviticus, telling God's people to do. I mean, this is what the temple was designed to facilitate. The sacrificial rituals done by the priests on behalf of the people for the cleansing and forgiveness of their sins. What is going on? Why is God all of a sudden denouncing these things? And especially, what is this verse? Whoever offers a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. What is one who breaks a dog's neck? I mean, that's a terrible person, right? What in the ancient world would this image have communicated? Well, this is where some background information is really helpful. When I was doing prep work for another video that's going to be upcoming here on the channel, I came across this Hittite ritual. And it's called The Ritual Between the Pieces. This is in the Context of Scripture, Volume 1. And this was a, a Hittite washing or lustration ritual to be performed in the event of military defeat. It's been dated to the Middle Hittite period. So, in the event of a defeat, there was a ritual that the defeated army would do that would in some way either appease the gods or bring them luck or do something that would be beneficial. And check out what that ritual consisted of. If the troops are defeated by the enemy, then they prepare the behind the river ritual as follows. Behind the river, they sever a human. And COS notes that this was likely a prisoner of war, but it's a human that's being killed. A billy goat, a puppy, and a piglet. So kill a human, kill a goat, kill a small dog or a puppy, and kill a small pig, piglet. On one side, they set the halves, and on the other side, they set the other halves. This is similar, if you know the Genesis story, to Abraham when God cuts the covenant with him and God has him set the halves of the sacrificial animals and God's presence passes between them. That's a story for another video for another time. But look at this ritual. In front of these, they make a gate of hawthorn and stretch a cord up over it. Then before the gate, on one side, they burn a fire. On the other side, they burn a fire. The troops go through, but when they come alongside the river, they sprinkle water over themselves. They perform the ritual again in the step. They celebrate the ritual in the step in the same way. Now, I'm not even going to pretend that I'm an expert on ancient Hittite rituals. 
And I don't know the exact implications of these actions, but look again at what is being done. An army that's lost a battle in order to make things better somehow, maybe ensure victory the next time, maybe to pay deference to the gods, maybe to atone for losing the battle. I don't know. And honestly, none of that is super important for the point that I want to share in this video. The point is that this ritual consisted of taking these sacrificial beings, and I say beings because they weren't animals. One of them was a human Another one was a goat, which is a normal sacrificial animal in the ancient Near East. And then a puppy and a pig. So human, goat, puppy, pig. And then after that, you know, you make a fire, you pass between these pieces, and then you splash water on yourself. Regardless of the specifics, this was ancient Near East, in this case Hittite, cultural background. So a defeated army would do these things. The main point is these are pagan rituals, very specific rituals. Now, with that in mind, look back at what Isaiah says in chapter 66, the final chapter of his book. Speaking to the people of Israel who trusted in the standing temple, that as long as the temple was standing, God was on their side. As long as the sacrifices were being offered, the Levitical sacrifices every day, God was on their side. As long as they performed the outward signs of religiosity, it didn't really matter where their hearts were. It didn't really matter what their behavior was like. And it didn't really matter what the threats around them looked like because God was on their side because they were performing the religious duties. And look what God says through the prophet Isaiah, the final chapter. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where's the house you'll build for me? And house is another term for the temple. Where's the house you'll build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? So they came into being, declares the Lord. In other words, God's like, all of this belongs to me. Your sacrifices, your offerings, your rituals, they do nothing for my benefit. They were not given for my benefit. I created all of this. This little house you've built me, what do I care about that? He goes on. These are the ones I look on with favor. You want to know who can say God's on my side? Let me tell you. These are the ones. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. The people for whom religion is an inward dedication before it is ever an outward expression. Those are the people that God looks on with favor. And then look at what he says. But whoever sacrifices a bull is like one who kills a person. Whoever offers a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. Whoever makes a grain offering is like one who presents pig's blood. Whoever burns memorial incense is like one who worships an idol. See what God's doing? He's comparing these Levitically prescribed rituals that were to be done out of a covenant faithful relationship with God, out of a heart overflowing with thanksgiving for God's salvation, and as part of a people who were dedicated to following and showing other people what it means to follow the God of Israel. Covenant faith. That's what God wanted when the sacrificial system was established. And that's what the sacrificial system was supposed to communicate to the people. And it did to the faithful people, the small remnant within Israel. But to most, it was just empty ritual. Or 
it was a way like their pagan neighbors of currying the favor of the gods. In this case, this God named Yahweh. That's what God's really criticizing. And he uses the exact images from this Hittite ritual. That's no coincidence. Because God is telling disobedient Israel, the ones who are not contrite in spirit, the ones who do not tremble at his word through his prophet Isaiah, he's saying, your Levitical sacrifices in my eyes, you might as well be killing a person. You might as well be killing a puppy. You might as well be killing a pig. Because you're keeping the outward appearance of religiosity, but inwardly, you're not following me. Look what he goes on to say. They have chosen their own ways, and they delight in their abominations. That's the word for ritually unclean things, by the way. So I will choose harsh treatment for them, and I will bring on them what they dread. For when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, no one listened. They did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me. God had been calling through the prophets to his people for centuries. And instead of turning to him, instead of doing what God desired, instead of being a people of the covenant, they had embraced a pagan mindset that the gods exist to do what we want if we do the right rituals. If we perform the right actions, then the gods are obligated to bestow their favor upon us so that we can get the things we want in life. That's a pagan mindset. And that's what ancient Israel had fallen into over the centuries, despite the warnings of God's prophets that he sent them, despite the teachings of the Torah that they had been given. And so in this final chapter of Isaiah, God is driving this point home, lest it be overlooked. He wants their hearts, not just their outward actions. This is similar to what the prophet Micah said in chapter 6 of his prophecy. When God is talking to Israel, he kind of brings a lawsuit. He has Micah as sort of his um, district attorney. So like God's DA against Israel in a court setting, which is kind of how this section of Micah is literarily portrayed. And so God has Micah tell the people, my people, remember what Balak king of Moab plotted and what Balaam son of Beor answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. Now, this could be a whole video of in itself, but basically, if you remember the book of Numbers, Balak called the pagan prophet Balaam, Balaam, and said, I want you to curse these people. And Balaam couldn't. He couldn't curse them because they were not cursed by God. So what Balaam told Balak to do was he said, but if you can get them to abandon their God and break the covenant, then they're no longer going to be protected by their God. And then your armies would be able to defeat them. But as long as the people are faithfully following the Lord, they're unstoppable. And so that's what Balak did. And that's what Israel descended into in that episode in Numbers. And it was only stopped when Phinehas came in and, well, I'll let you read that story sometime for yourself because, again, that's a whole other video. But the people in Micah are sort of talk back to God and they say, with what shall I come before the Lord? And bow down before the exalted God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? 
This is the logic behind pagan sacrifice. The greater the gift, the more favor the God will show you. So you offer a bull. You offer a bunch of bulls. You offer a whole flock. You offer some oil. You offer even more oil. You offer rivers of oil. You offer your firstborn son, your most precious family member, and surely that will get the God's attention and make the gods want to bestow their favor on you, right? I mean, that's how it works in the pagan mindset. And God corrects Israel through the prophet Micah, answering back, says, He's shown you, O mortal or O man, what's good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what he wants. He wants your heart, not your sacrifices. And so that's also what Isaiah is trying to get the people to see as well. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit, who tremble at my word. The people for whom it's not just outward religion, but it is actual devoted relationship. Otherwise, without that, without the inward devotion, you might as well be performing a Hittite incantation of a defeated army in order to try and turn your fortunes around. Doing that pagan ritual will have as much efficacy as performing the sacrifices of God without a contrite heart, without trembling at his word, doing it out of obligation or out of tradition or out of a sense of distorted nationalistic patriotism. That's what God's telling his people when he says, whoever sacrifices a bull is like one who kills a person. Whoever offers a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. So is the Bible telling you to go break dog's necks? No, not at all. Those are the bad guys. Doing that is the pagan act. Doing that is the evil act. What God's saying is all sacrifices are pagan if they're not performed by someone who is in proper relationship with me and with those who bear my image. Which is why Jesus boiled all the commandments down to the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So to me, this is just a really cool example that I came across when I just randomly read this ritual between the pieces from the ancient Hittite empire and how much light it shed on a passage in scripture in the prophet Isaiah. There's so much more of that. We'll do more videos here at Disciple Dojo on these little kind of ancient Near East tidbits that shed light on something you read in the Old Testament because the Old Testament is an intimidating book. It's a foreign culture. It is removed in time, in space, in language, in culture, in politics, in almost every way you can imagine. The Old Testament is such a foreign world except when it comes to human nature. And that's what the prophets are speaking to. And that's what God speaks to. But he does it through the vehicle of ancient Near East literature. So the more we know about that, the more we can hear the message of Scripture in a way that the original audience would likely have heard it. And then we can understand what God's saying through it. And then we can apply it into our modern setting. So what would this mean for us today? Well, I think of movies like The Godfather. Literally, I think there's a scene where while... The Godfather is at a baptism of a baby in a church. There's a hit going on that he's ordered somewhere else. So this idea that you can do what you want, you can kill people, you can steal, you can rob, you can murder, 
And yet, as long as you go to mass, as long as you have your baby baptized, as long as you say your Hail Marys, then somehow God will be okay with the rest of it. And passages like Isaiah say, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Your ritual participation in church, if it is masking horrendous behavior in life, it's an abomination to God. You think of cartels that are so superstitious about how they view church and, you know, gangsters that wear crosses or make sure that they go to church every Sunday, but then their lives are nothing like that. These are examples of what Isaiah is talking about. Or in the Protestant evangelical world that I'm more familiar with, people who will go to church and they'll raise their hands in worship, they'll post Bible verses on their Instagram, and yet the other days of the week, they're living life that looks no different than the culture and chasing after the things of this world. Or think of political leaders. They make sure that they show up to church service. They make sure when they visit Israel that they go to the Wailing Wall. They do the things that communicate to people, hey, I'm one of you. My God's your God, and you know, so therefore you need to support me. And it's all to get a vote. But when they're in office, the policies that they enact, the actions that they vote for or against are diametrically opposed to anything resembling the covenant faith of Scripture. But they do the rituals. That's all that matters. You could probably think of many more examples. I'm just kind of spitballing these off the top of my head. But this is how we do Old Testament Bible study. We find what did the text mean in its original context? Now, how does this original context match my context today? And how does it differ? And by doing that, we start to see, we start to hear the message that God wants us to hear through his written word of scripture. Even though it was written, say, 3,000 years ago in the Middle East, it can still speak to us with just as much relevance today. But we have to do a little bit of background work if we want to more fully hear that message. So I hope this was helpful. I hope it was interesting. Uh, Don't break any dog's necks. Don't kill any puppies. And speaking of animals and welfare, if you are interested in what does the Bible say about animals and the creation and how we are to care for and steward this creation, including the animals, go ahead and check out the video, Animals and End Times, where we look at a theology of creation care. And also be sure to check out Professor T'Challa's Superhero Seminary episode on Do Animals Have Souls? Spoiler alert, yes, they do. That's all for today. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time back here at Disciple Dojo.